Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Keep your hands off, Azokin. Hello, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We are in week 58. <laughs> did we just break Allison a little bit more? I think we did. <laughs> Woo! Uh, that's how long I've had Uptown Funk stuck in my head. 58 <laughs> weeks. Well, now you have something else stuck in your head, which is great. Um, Easy breezy. <laughs> that's right. Uh, she's got the theme song to the show that we're still discussing, which is Keep Your Hands Off Azokin. Um, and I'm Noel Kirkpatrick. I refuse to take a side in the real robot and super robot debate, which is something we'll get into <laughs> this week. Um, but I'm joined as ever by Kate. Can you even get inanimate objects to fall in line? Kolzak. <laughs> And Allison tries to do a Hadouken every night before bed, shoemaker. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate, yeah. And Marcus is in the chat. And Marcus, I don't know if you two know this, but Marcus comes equipped with his own poltergeist loadout, regardless of where he is. He's always got the poltergeist loadout ready to go. Uh, so today we we're talking about episodes five and six. An iron giant appears. And let's do better than last time. Um, which is basically everyone's mantra right now anyway. <laughs> so let's go ahead and dive in with an Iron Giant appears, which regrettably is not the Iron Giant from the beloved family movie from the, what, late 90s, early aughts? 90s. Yeah, 90s. I can't quite remember. Um, but still has like an actual robot in it, sort of. Uh, so let's talk about this and... I, I, I already know the answer to this question, but what's everyone's relationship with mecha anime? Yeah, no, I figured, I know, I know that like, Kate's seen Evangelion, and is that about it? I've seen a few, I've seen a few. Yeah. It's just not my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, like, it's just not... I'm not like, ooh, giant robots, the way that some people are. And it is that's perfectly fine. And and lots of people love him. It's a massive genre, right? Well, um, it used to be. It's not anymore. As they note in this episode, it is not very popular anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I was not one of those people who was going to see the trailer for Pacific Rim and be like, oh, my God. I was going to be like, I hope they enjoy it. The, the, <laughs> I hope that the people who this is for, which is not me... <laughs> really love this uh, because it looks like it could be super fun. Oh, Marcus says, not anime, but I watched a little Power Rangers when it was first a thing. And I remember um, at, at Comic-Con sitting through some Power Rangers panels and being absolutely delighted by them uh, and being like, these are super fun. Like, this is way better than the Power Rangers I remember as a kid. Um, but, it, you know, and just being sort of delighted that it is still a ongoing thing in the world uh then again not not my jam but i can respect it i can appreciate it and i really enjoyed these episodes and like the attention we get to this you know this genre of anime yeah allison how do you feel about it what's your do you have any particular connection to people piloting giant robots and punching each other and blowing each other up um, um, well, no, but I, I mean, I've seen m- many movies, so, so there's that connection. Um, sure. but, but I feel like I was able to relate to this on all kinds of levels. Um, because I, I was thinking of these episodes in my head before we started doing the, this, our episode as 
volume one, is that a read? And volume two, oh, that's definitely a read. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. and it really, I was like, oh, God, I should probably be writing right now. Nope, I'm going to go clean my kitchen. <laughs> um, it, was, it was very satisfying. And I specifically, with um, An Iron Giant Appears, was reminded of all of the times when I was attempting to direct something when I would just get so frustrated because I couldn't get the thing that was in my head to happen either on the page as I was writing a proposal or while I was trying to communicate to actors. And of course, it's because I didn't actually have anything in my head. I had like a feeling that I wanted to feel and not a plan. And those things are not the same. Um, so I again, I say, is this a read? Yes, it's definitely a read. Um, I, I was just, I was delighted by both of them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I really like in particular about An Iron Giant Appears is that our girls are confronted with people who are as passionate about something as they are and have no way of communicating with them. <laughs> um, because poor Ono, who's the president of the robot, um, the robot club, um, is really mired in this whole debate of a super robot versus a real robot, which is a ongoing debate within anime community about all sorts of genres, kind of splicing type stuff, but also feeds into, wait, but we could make it real if we just follow this. Um, and it's really fun, to your point, Allison, watching Ono try to explain all that and then be like, yeah, I don't know. Just do the thing. Do the thing that I'm, that's in my brain. Do it. Please make, I just want a real robot. <laughs> and specifically to pilot one. Right. Exactly. He just wants to be able to actually pilot a robot. Um, but it has to work. It has to be three meters, which isn't very tall. Uh, just all this sort of fun stuff that then just slowly spirals out of control into something that I feel like blends that balance of cool, but it's kind of practical. Like you definitely use a chainsaw to move faster. <laughs> it's just so pure. It's so yes. honest and pure. And when Kanamori is trying to like, you know, when she's trying to, to work with them in the meeting and eventually realizes, um, to her frustration that, Oh no, the correct way here is, is the emotional appeal that's what's gonna bring our groups together and it is, is frankly like almost disgusted at that uh it's just so fun <laughs> well that combined with her um uh shark-like instincts <laughs> to just <laughs> immediately seize upon anything that's going to give them a tactical advantage um in this war that they are essentially fighting against themselves um even though it seems like their enemies are external uh so when they've got that chalkboard that says, like, plans to destroy Izokin or whatever it is, and she just immediately, she was so worried about finding leverage, and nope, immediately, immediate leverage, and they all have their heads in their hands. It was really, it was great. <laughs> and Kanamori is just so savvy, right? Like, her ability to navigate how to deal with all these creatives and all these obsessives across both of these episodes down to the weird way that she blackmails the poor single member of the sound club. <laughs> <laughs> um, Domeki. 
as the member of the sound club um, who begins to recur. So I hope you like Domeki because Domeki's delightful, quite frankly. Um, but just the ways in which she like does the leverage is really great. But also the whole, I'm going to treat you all to dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Allison, have you ever shanghaied actors into, I'm going to treat you all to dinner and then be like, I never carry more than 1000 yen on me at any given time. So you'll have to pay for yourselves. (laughs) Uh, No, that said, I have definitely done the. Why don't we go get a beer? And then we just do nothing but talk about the play for two hours. Mm -hmm. And that's how I get two extra hours of rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've definitely done that, but I pay for the drinks. So it's not I pay for the and I mean I am also now retired apologies to any actors I've worked with who just realized that I blatantly manipulated them um, <laughs> but I'm gonna own it uh, yeah the actually this part of that scene that I felt hardest uh, mm-hmm. where I both recognized in her and in myself and in people that I really admire um, this tendency this very endearing tendency is when she just has to take a nap for a second yeah just yeah. she just had to it's so endearing because people in production people who are helping others bring a creative vision to life do such tiring work and it is so often thankless and a lot of times you're also doing that work for yourself but when it's somebody who isn't putting in the hours to express their own vision but to help someone else express theirs um I mean, that's it's heroic even if the person in question is kind of a butthole um and she is kind of a butthole, but she's amazing. And she took a little nap, and then she had her ramen, and then she didn't get stuck with the check. Just like win, win, win. <laughs> the uh, the number of like naps that I've stolen, at, like on a couch backstage or something. Yep, waiting for like the next like between between inter- like intermission or there's they have to do something with the sets, and I'm like, you know, it's I don't know the third day of Hell Week, and you're just you know. I've mentioned this before. You're playing some Enchanted Evening for like the 25th time. Um, <laughs> like I've played plenty of other wonderful, beautiful shows, and South Pacific is a beautiful show. But um, the, it's just the one that always comes to mind because of how repetitive the 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 scoring is in that one. Um, versus like your Guys and Dolls. I did I did two or three productions of Guys and Dolls in the span of like six months. Oh boy. Um, to the point where they like the music is great though it was, it was it was super fun like they were doing it at the high school and the band teacher found out that I had done it over the summer and was like come you're gonna be in the pit now <laughs> and I was like but I haven't been to the rehearsal he's like do you know it I'm like yeah yeah probably I probably still have Havana memorized he's like yeah okay you're you're gonna be you're in the pit that that's happening now we need more people and just try not to stab someone in the face with a bow um. So like yeah, like the number of of cat naps where you're just like I just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna here sleep, just and sleep. then you're ready to go as soon as you get your red pepper ramen and just eat it like <laughs> all in one go. It really is a horrifying way to eat. Yeah, especially like for this, I particularly enjoyed it because she is the the tall teenager, right? Because they're mm-hmm. teenagers too, and they just are constantly tired. You're constantly tired when you're a teenager. You're full of energy or dead of the world and so that just felt very very appropriate um so yeah i also really love that moment <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. no it's really really sweet and it really kind of shows a degree of vulnerability to kanamori as well which we haven't really mm-hmm. seen because kanamori has been so on top of things and also just is ruthlessly blackmailing everyone she encounters <laughs> to achieve her own ends that you get this moment where she's human 
and it's a very weird situation, I think, for everyone else of like, oh, she sleeps. That's weird. I didn't think she slept. And that whole, that little fracturing of even though these people have been working side by side, they're still discovering things. And in Midori and Kanamori's case, have known each other for like a very long time, but maybe weren't necessarily close. Um, that finding that stuff out, I think has been really, really interesting. And again, the ways that they find ways to flesh out all three of these characters in really kind of, I feel really subtle ways that you wouldn't expect from such a behind the scenes production type show. Um, I, I just find really compelling and really great. Um, one thing I did want to ask you both about before we kind of move on to let's do better than last time is how are you feeling about the city that these, these people live in? where there's just big empty tunnels everywhere and lots of dead leaves that are fermenting. <laughs> and that's why they're warm. <laughs> Grappling hook. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I, that was very satisfying. Put the Swiss army knife in the sock and then you're all set. That's really, you get your portable shovel. Um, I, I guess I've been thinking about it as one of the backgrounds that we're seeing designed right Mm -hmm. like if there is an aspect of the show within the show that's the piece where i keep thinking about it is every time they're at this incredible location it's like oh yeah okay (laughs) wow um that this is extremely cool but i'm not sure why they're here uh if we're gonna learn more awesome if not still awesome either thing is awesome um it's very atmospheric and specific and obviously sets them up for all of these very cool adventures and it's such a wonderful tapestry on which to um embroider yeah uh anyway yes i have noticed it is a very strange place in which they live with their warm piles of fermenting leaves um but it works like gangbusters for me and that clock tower that is right there but they have to look across the bay to the other clock tower (laughs) they can't see their clock tower kate how's this how is shibahama working for you well i what i enjoy about it is that i could easily see the end of the of the season or the anime the run whenever they decide to wrap up the story never explaining it or uh revealing that it's actually a much more mundane city and just obviously this is through the lens of you know how they view their town um or it's actually like a high concept like they've been in the holodeck the whole time or something like so like or, or you know, like this act, they're actually on a giant turtle, like an avatar or something like that. Like I could easily see it going any of those three ways, and all of them being satisfying and super fun. Uh, so I love that; it's it's delightful. Uh, I do though engage with it more uh, as a maybe as a warrior <laughs> than it sounds like you guys do. <laughs> like when they're kicking open that door, I'm like, there's probably a reason that that is. Like I hope they aren't going to end up like in a cave that it. It seems like it's fine, but that's because the tide is out. As soon as the tide comes in, they're all going to drown, you know, <laughs> like kind of a situation. Um, so that's always in the back of my mind, um, which I, uh, you know, I, I enjoy them getting into their hijinks. And especially because they've shown themselves to be able to get out of situations. Like I, like when they, you know, jerry-rig their, their, their way out of, you know, falling through the floor, uh, it's encouraging for, like, you know, their prospects at exploring the city and then for me to be a little less anxious on their behalf also the fact that it's not that it's not that show 
helps a lot too. That's what it is for me. The fact that it's not that show because the things that I was actually honestly shocked when they fell and it was not a leap into some sort of animated story that we were going to see because it seems like those sort of mishap. I mean, I guess there's the fall, but those sort of mishaps seem to be so low stakes that when something potentially dangerous happens, it's always seemed to me that that is something that's being animated. So I had a little frisson of fear. And then I was like, no, that's not the show. Marcus says, I have no mental map of the city. Things just, are and yeah me too uh i want to talk about the treadmill of bad sound oh yeah no let's let's talk about better let's do better than last time because there's a lot of stuff in this one and let's start let's start with domeki and the treadmill of bad sound allison go ahead let's start us off um i love bad adr um (laughs) i love it i it's one of those things that i shouldn't actually love but i i just really do um I love a disconcertingly wrong sound effect. I love them when used for comic effect. I especially love the idea that just like you can see our heroines freaking out about something that's not quite right um, in their area of expertise, you can see, I'm sorry, what's our new character's name? I don't have IMDb. Domeki. Domeki. Um, just like slowly losing it when all of the footfalls sound the same, no matter what, no matter the shoes, no matter the terrain, no matter the what. It was really... Um, it. It was really great. What a um, devious way of manipulating someone, (laughs) Um, but effective. And I think that's part of why I like Kanamori so much is all of this arm twisting she's doing. It really is in the best interest of all of the people that she is blackmailing and emotionally manipulating because everyone really does win. Uh, It's just that she's looking out for them specifically first so the sound club gets a big win out of this it's just that it's the result of blatant emotional manipulation um and you know lying and things well goodness knows i can relate if you've ever watched a thing with me and there's a musician on screen and they're playing an (laughs) instrument and like but they're not but the but the but Umbrella Academy, those are G string sounds, and she's in the E string. And why is why is their bow fake it better? <laughs> you know, like or or piano, and they're like doing this, but the sound is this, you know, or the wrong instrument that happens sometimes too. It's just like it just like your head just starts twitching, and it just like <laughs> eyes get wide. Um, so yeah, I could super relate. It was delightful. Um, and very fun. I do like that, as you say, no, um, or I, as I think we've all touched on that. Kanamori definitely has an agenda, but um, there is still there are still win conditions for all these other people, and it's like <laughs> like Kanamori, president of everything, right? It's like that. Is this our origin story for for you know? You know, does does she grow up to be Olivia Pope or something? Um, I I just, you know, there's a lot of just joy in watching how um, something comes together. And it's, it's, we've been very focused on Kanamori. But what I've enjoyed about her role in these episodes is that you do get a sense in a way that I think is so often overlooked in narratives exploring the creative process of just how much work goes into 
all the stuff that doesn't it isn't seen on the screen. And so like we we see like when the all three characters go off and are working on their own, at the end of that we've got like all this this you know the the visualizations and like the storyboards and all this stuff and the character designs and all the stuff for our two animators. But Gonmore has been working this whole time as well. <laughs> and that's the part that it's just so easy. Um if you are a creative who does not have managerial experience, who does not have stage production experience, it's easy to be like, what are they even doing this whole time? And you're like, oh, you have no idea. So they sent so many emails. They've done so many spreadsheets. They've had, to do, like, they've had to coax people out of dressing rooms and change a string and like all these other things. And so really seeing, like have this show celebrating that aspect of it so much. And even just be like, we'll just, you know, we're just going to play in the... ADR we have. No, that's all we need. It'll be fine. Chomp, 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 no matter what. It's the no matter what. Thing. It's great. It'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, no one will notice. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And just um, like be like, that's all we need. Like, so that's what we'll do. And then <laughs> and then he will bend to my will. It's great. And the will bending, I think, works both ways a little bit. In this episode in particular, because while there's that coercion of Domeki in the sound club to basically, like, in a hostile takeover, you can't take over the art club. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find it really interesting how they set up that particular conflict here, where Kanamori really takes a back seat in terms of, I don't know anything about any of this. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm the business person. You have to explain to the art club what they have to do. And the art club have no idea what any of this is. <laughs> And it, what are these holes? What are these holes for? And then that very quiet girl who's like, they're holes for the the pegs for the animators. And it's just, everyone looks at her and is like, wait, how do you know this? And she looks embarrassed. Um, and you get a sense of like the taste culture hierarchy and like the sense of, is this art type of thing that's happening there on top of the crisis of confidence that this has for a Asakosa. I'm butchering her pronunciation. Sakuza. Yeah. Thank you. Midori is what I'm going to stick to. <laughs> um, and that thing. So how did that, how did the stuff with the art club play for you as sort of a counter almost to what happens with Domeki and the sound club? Okay. I'm a control freak as will surprise very few of you. You? Me. I know. Yeah. What? No, I like to have things organized and structured and planned and he's scheduled. Um, and so when they're talking about, like, but we got to make sure that they're going to line up, right? Right? You guys, like, the backgrounds need to, like, they need to, the lights from this angle. And, and so watching them have to seed that, like, like to put their trust in the art club to execute this stuff, you know, it's, and, and everything that comes with that. And the, the beautiful, I assume, uh, final product that they will eventually get right like having to just trust in that and how difficult that is for the personality types of our heroes um i can relate it me <laughs> noel was just really thirsty i don't know if you caught that game i was i was just super thirsty about the collaboration for the art club is just gonna go so well so it's gonna be so great no hiccups at, no at problems all. whatsoever no yeah no, I'm just the lack really of thirsty. a hierarchy there is not gonna come to be a problem even a little bit i'm sure mm -mm. nope not at all um i appreciated about that scene 
that it still seemed to me like great strategy uh, because as the artsy fartsy creative type who sometimes like what no I don't know blah um, <laughs> I am used to having people who are more organized uh, more diligent um, more together take me to where I'm supposed to go and push me in front of the people that I'm supposed to talk art stuff to mm-hmm. with the faith that I will talk art stuff and that will be fine. And you know what? That actually works because people expect artists to be kind of a mess. And as long as you can find your way toward effectively communicating, when an artist is speaking to an artist, this, something often happens, something wonderful emerges from it. I don't know if that'll happen here, um, but it was great <laughs> watching all of them deal with this shift in dynamics and what that's going to mean moving forward. Um, yeah. Also delegating anything is terrifying. Speaking of being a control freak. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't remember when we get a sense of how this collaboration goes. I think it's pretty quick. I think it even may be in the very next episode. Um, but one of the things for me, I appreciated being watching that scene and going, Oh, I remember how this plays out and seeing immediately that they were planning little bits of there that kind of make sense later on. So I really appreciated that um, for a rewatch perspective. Um, um, I did like try to zone in more on the three art club personalities watching it again, um, but they just don't leave much of an <laughs> that I don't remember how much of them resurface again. They all three come back, I know. Um, but I can't really remember what I think about it. Aside from that whole, again, that taste culture kind of idea of, we want to do this because it seems cool and you, you've you got some cultural cachet in the school. But this isn't, this isn't what we do. And we think about this differently, I think is the other thing that really kind of comes through there is the process of making this art versus making art capital a kind of art that the art club thinks of um i just find really compelling watching all of these types of different obsessive creative types be it the robot club be it the sound club and now the art club kind of all get into this weird blender of collaboration and realize the power of that while at the same time being like but it's weird and it's not right, but also it's kind of put together type of deal. Am I making any sense at all? Like when they create basically a blue collar robot that has <laughs> a drill and just all this sort of like construction hardware stuff that makes no sense, but is cool and fits the bill for everyone really. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. And a part of this that doesn't get touched on enough, but I really enjoy when it does in the first episode, is that there's a budget here, and they're being hired. Yes, Izukin is being hired for this, but there is no discussion of whether the Sound Club or the Art Club are being hired. And uh, as a creative, <laughs> as a musician, let me. Fucking tell you, and I'll edit that myself. Uh, yeah, it makes a difference to be paid for your work, and yeah, it's an important thing, a project like this. And if the art club is being, it like takes on the get the the job and is being paid, that makes things that makes the collaboration much more specific, 
than if they are volunteering their time and doing it because of their love for the art, you know, for, for, you know, and, and that is something that I think a lot of people who do not work in the arts do not understand and do not have appropriate respect for it. Like, oh, but you love music. So like, you just must, it just, it's just because it's something you love. So like, does it matter if you're paid for your time or, you know, that doesn't change your dynamic with, with something. So, so Kanmori is like full throated defense of, yeah, it helps. You should be paid. <laughs> it helps for, it helps like delineate what you're doing. And it, it ensures that they're, everybody's on the same page about the priorities and like the set number of, um, uh, like what the, the, the number one goal to three kind of a thing is it clarifies and you know, you don't want to only have everything defined monetarily, but as soon as you're being paid for a commissioned work, that is very different than, Oh, we thought it would be cool if you would make this anime about robots for us, for our event, but just because you love anime. So like you should just do it. Um, so I'm very curious if that is going to be in Noel, maybe you can drink some, that wasn't there. related to anything. I was just actually okay. thirsty. Actually that thirsty. wasn't related to anything. Well, because I'm curious how that... Because I don't get the sense that there's enough of a budget here um, for them to be able to give a chunk of their budget to the art club. Um, but that would make quite a difference with how that collaboration is going to go. Yeah. Um, I will say that as far as the sound club concerned, it is not an issue. Because <laughs> um, they've just... It was a hostile takeover. Like, Kanamori just owns <laughs> yeah. Domeki's whole catalog now, even though Domeki owns it. Quotes, it's really yeah. a Kanamori subsidiary at this point. <laughs> it's another branch of the Shineheart Wig Corporation. <laughs> exactly. Um, the Art Club is an entirely different story, and I don't remember how the budget factors into it, if it factors in at all. Um, that is one of those areas where it does get a little hazy, I think. Um, but I don't remember. It's been a year and a half since I watched this. Um, so, yeah, I can't quite remember. But yeah, I'm all here for discussions of art and commerce and how they intersect and, and, and all of that. So I was very tickled by that inclusion. And it kept, it kept like, as we as I was foreseeing, like, you know, projecting out different ways the storyline could go. I was like, I'm curious what that's going to mean. Um, for these two cl- groups of people. Because as, as we were meeting the art club people, I was like, even just in that scene, I was like, this is three more names. I don't know if I'm going to remember these names. I should probably know these names for the podcast. Nah, it's okay. Just, <laughs> okay. The art club trio is fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, yeah, so anything else about this, these two episodes that you both, either of you wanted to hit on? Uh, I want to real briefly talk about the little freak out that we get at the end. Why don't we just change everything because people aren't going to like it? Yes. Um, which it, it's it, a feel, isn't it? It is a huge feel. Again, this is definitely a read. Um, and while uh, it seems like it works out okay, usually rage is not the best way to walk somebody back from standing on the edge of a diving board like that. Yeah. Um, it seems to work out okay here. I will say that the advice, however, is incredibly sound, and I wish it was something that people had said to me oftener and earlier about basically all of the areas of my life in which I'm creative, which is you don't have to please everyone, you just have to please yourself. And that doesn't mean that you should be wholly self-indulgent. Obviously, you have to think about your audience because the part of whatever art form you're working in, 
you're creating something that's an expression of you that will be taken in or of your ideas that will be taken in by other people. Um, and that's a part of the transaction, but trying to make something people are going to like is never, that's how you end up with the Greg Berlanti produced TV series deception, where it's a, a <laughs> cop who's a magician. That's, that's what happens when you try to make something you think people are going to like, instead of just something that you're going to like. Um, I think some of our, our greatest works of art fall firmly in that camp, right? Where it's just like, who does this appeal to? No idea. But me, for sure me, I'm one of them. Um, so it's really, really good advice that she gets here. And um, and I hope that it sticks with them. <laughs> I hope everybody remembers not to try to please everyone with the robot because you can't please everyone with the robot. Yeah, and that comes up with something that someone said a week or two ago with like that collision of perfection versus um, just getting something out. I can't quite remember the quote. It was in my notes, but my notes are no longer up to date for that episode. They're just for the two most recent. Um, but that comes in, that's that's like the runner, right, for the entire show is making something perfect um, and having to settle for something else. But is also still good and that you should be proud of. Um, and I think that's a really potent message to have um, across it. And also just recognizing people's motivation switches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Marcus says uh, a couple of things. First of all, Marcus says, uh, I now I want to hear a trumpet sound co- coming out of a violin or a piano. I'd like, in animation, especially, it happens. It's my yeah. favorite. It's my favorite thing. I love it it's so much. It's a good much. joke. It's a very good <laughs> joke. I love it. Um, and then with the, uh, you know, with making something to please your sense of other people versus for yourself, that gets trickier when you're contracted to do something. But when you're contracted to do, to do something, you're being hired by someone for your interpretation and for your vision. And if they don't trust your interpretation, then they shouldn't have hired you. So it's a matter of if you're the person hiring or contracting the work, um, like doing your research, right. And like looking at their other catalogs, getting a sense of their sensibilities and and like having the meetings before you officially like sign on the dotted line or whatever. Um, And then, you know, knowing that, you are both whoever's doing the contracting and the contract E are on the same page about how much the import is to to chase um, the sense of what the audience wants versus what you're trying to what the creatives are trying to, to create. And there is uh, there are extremes on either end that are problems that where it doesn't work. And there is right in the middle where you get some of the Marvel TV shows that have been very bland recently. Um and so, so just finding that balance. And if you try to do what you think other people will like, you just will never be as successful. I mean, in my opinion, you're just never going to be as successful because if if it's if if what you like is very mainstream, then that works great because then you are still you might be making what you think other people like, but it's because that's also what you like, so it works out. That's when you hire your your journeyman, you know, creators or your um, very middle of the road you know, kind of, you know, as opposed to more avant-garde people. Uh, but if, if you are an avant-garde person trying to imagine what middle America wants to see kind of a thing, you know, that's just, oh, it's, 
just it's never good. It just it just brings out your own biases and your own senses of corn. what you think other people like. Yes, this show about yeah. corn. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. Um, and Marcus wants to see a trombone slide map to the movement of a cello bow. Yeah, like, I haven't seen that specifically, but I've seen similar things. Yeah, it's fun. Anyways, um, we should probably wrap up because we've yeah. already gone long. But yeah, uh, yeah though I continue to be charmed and delighted, and I'm sad that we're already halfway through. Yeah, we're in the back stretch, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but so episodes seven and eight, um, if I remember correctly, both of these episodes are really good. Um, and I'm very excited for both of you to watch them. Uh, so episode seven is I have to do it for myself. And then episode eight is the Grand Shibahama Festival, um, which is the culmination, I will let you know, of the Robot Club anime. Um, it is it is it is the premiere. Um, I will also say that for episode eight, I want a prediction about a which ridiculous out of left field club will participate in episode eight, play key role in episode eight, because there is one that plays a very important role in episode eight. Um, but you need to, I, I want predictions on that. So, but first I have to do it for myself. So while Kate and Allison think about predictions, Marcus, if you have anything else, toss it in the chat. So I have to do it for myself. Predictions. Okay. Um, Mizusaki is our short character with the camo hat. Yes. No, that's um, Midori. That's, that's okay. Uh, Asakuza needs to do it for herself. Is why I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that that quote is from her. And um, ooh, oh, unless it's Mizusaki starting to have trouble with her parents. Um, not wanting her to do anime. But I'm, I'm going to stick with my instinct, which is uh, Asakuza, and it's going to be, again, more of that, uh, what we were just talking about around uh, pleasing yourself versus other people and the tensions with maybe what the robot club wants for this versus what they do. Allison, thoughts? Uh, I think it's that uh, Kanamori takes a 30-minute nap. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to do it for herself. Good. Okay, so for episode eight, we've got the Grand Shibahama Festival. Marcus pitches that it's the volleyball club, okay. which is a fair guess. Um, but Kate and Allison, how do you feel about this title? The Well, first of all, the return of the Carbs Club is what I'm just going to guess. Okay. Um, sure. They were teased earlier. You think they're a one-off, but they're actually going to become a runner. Is what yeah, I'm gonna say. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's not them, but I think it's fun. Um, and then um, this... Okay, so there, there are going to be... There's two more episodes after this. Um, so, Or it's four more episodes after this. There's four more episodes after so, this. Yeah. So that means there's going to be another anime. And I think they can't all be rousing successes, but I think they also can't... I think, I think it's going to be like a middling experience. And so it's not going to mm-hmm. be the triumph of their first short. But, um, but, but I think it will be a bridge. I think I think it needs to be different than, you know, so that we can end the season on a high. I'm going to guess we're going to end the season on a high. So this, something's going to happen so that maybe they don't end up, they aren't able to actually screen it at the festival. And instead they end up basically at a, the, 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 the Azoken version of a house cast party after the fact, and they all love it, but they, they, they are stopped from showing it at the festival. All right. My, awesome. my club guess is uh, audience services club. Okay. Where you learn how to use 
all sorts of different pieces of audience services software. Okay, um, cool. And they're not going to be a Ticketmaster house. Um, <laughs> that's my club prediction. Uh, my sincere prediction for what happens is uh, based on a little what Noel has said. My guess is that it comes out really well and the robot club gets all of the credit and all of the glory and all of the money. <laughs> um, and that they reap basically no benefits from it because it's all, it ends up being a robot club triumph. That's my guess. Okay. And they get cool. stiff for the payment. No way. Kanamori gets yeah. paid at least that half up front. Oh, for sure. No, no they're definitely, she'd, she'd have a lawyer on it or something. <laughs> She's got too much blackmail for them not to get paid. Okay. Touche. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> They've got a big whiteboard with destroy the Azoken. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap us up for today and this week. So we will be back on Monday to discuss episodes seven and eight of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Marcus. Keep it easy breezy. Easy breezy.